There you go. Oh, no, get that away from me. Oh, gross. <laughs> right there. Ah. Right. You're listening to Minutia Men. But first, take a listen to this other fine Opie show. This week on Minutia Men Celebrity Interview, we talk with the San Diego chicken, Ted Giannoulis. I run all the way up to the stage, and there is Elvis singing. I'm dancing right under him. And Elvis catches this, and he says, I don't know if you all can see, but you got to believe me. There's a chicken dancing up here. <laughs> and then he says, I want to warn this chicken something. Uh, I don't know who put him up to this, but my manager's name is the Colonel. <laughs> the Minutia Men Celebrity Interview. Minutia Men Celebrity Interview. An Opi show only on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Great Talk Radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. The following is a Tony Lasano podcast. An Opie production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is Minutia Man with Rick and Dave. Dave. <laughs> Are you allowed to sing that? Yeah, probably. Yeah, right. Harry Belafonte, come come after us. You know where we are. Yeah. Uh, so, welcome to another uh, episode of Minutia Men. We are just we're ripping these off every week, my friend. Yes, I think uh, I think we are doing them almost mm-hmm. every week. I think we did forty four episodes in two thousand and nineteen. Is that right? Yeah. So that means we took what eight weeks off. We deserve it. Well, you took thirty six <laughs> weeks off, basically. Yeah, it was mostly me. Yeah. Um, uh, but eight week, I th- we deserve eight weeks, don't yeah, you think? That's fine. I think uh, you know, give me a show me a TV show that gives you forty four episodes a year. Right, exactly. And I'm you- watching Mrs. Maisel right now. I'm on you know the third season, the eighth episode. I think there's maybe two. Ten, yeah, I think you only got two left. left. How do you like it? I love that show. It is. It I is a it. remarkable but show. But there may be 44 shows altogether. Right, exactly. And we do that every year. We're like four, we're, we're, we're four Maisels. Right, uh, a- absolutely. You know, she's from around here. Is she? Yeah, the, uh, I don't know, what, what's her name, Rebecca? Uh, Rachel or? Rachel. From? <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, yeah, she's from Lake Highland Park. I did not know that. Yeah, so we'll maybe get to her on the show. Okay, I'd love to. So I've got a little, uh, I wouldn't call it an issue because me and my wife are pretty much in agreement with this. You know the... Um, I guess it was probably about 30 years ago when Old Comiskey Park was being demolished. Yes. And do you remember? Well, you've seen it. I, yes. I, uh, we, auction, we went to the auction and we ended up getting the scorecard booth where yes. they used to sell scorecards and programs. Which right? is in your living room. It is in our living room. And has been since the uh, new stadium was built. Right. In like 1991. And now my vision was to make it into a bar and we bought a couple of old seats and it was going to be just like a really, in my head, it is an awesome bar. <laughs> I mean, it really is. It's too small for a bar. Yeah, I know. And um, so it's becoming to get to a point. Oh, is where, it time? Yeah. And I've been waiting for this moment. Yeah. She's. My, I got to be honest. My wife has stuck it out for she has almost three decades with this thing just plopped into if, our. If that was my wife, it would already be in the garage. Yeah. Um. So anybody out there in in radio land in um, podcast land who wants a scorecard booth from the original Comiskey Park? Yeah. It's probably. 60 years old, probably, I would think. So we're looking for somebody who's not married, <laughs> yeah. uh, who's a White Sox fan, right? Um, and doesn't care what their house, the looks, house like. looks like. Yeah. Right, exactly. And doesn't really care about lead paint. 
Uh, yeah, because who knows? Yeah, don't have right. any small children's or pets. Yeah. That, uh, so anyway, well, my garage is available okay. if you want it. Well, where would it be? Would it be next to the 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 big nineteen sixties? Well, that, like I'll that, put, that funky. Yeah, next to the lamp. Yeah, the funky nineteen sixties lamp. The Mrs. Maisel. <laughs> you know what? You should do the garage as Miss. You, well, actually, you already have. It's, I already it's have. A set of I've Mrs. got Maisel. Elvis pictures on the wall. I've got uh, my garage is uh, is the set of Mrs. Maisel because that's that's my era that I that I was into as far as furniture and stuff like that. And when we got married, Bridget was pretended like, "Hey, this is cool." Um, and then, you know, every year it was like, hey, um, maybe that looks good in the garage. Right. Have you yeah. thought about making a man cave out there? Like, hmm. Well, you're the, well, you're the first wife that actually wants you to have a man cave. Well, there you go. Well, so I'll keep you posted. But yes, the offer is out there now. If okay. anybody wants this. All right. I don't know if I'll part with it for nothing. Well, what are you asking? Well, we paid 500 bucks for it, but that was when we had disposable income. Yeah. Uh, uh I don't know. 10 bucks? No, like 50. You'd take 50 for it, wouldn't you? Uh no. 100? I was thinking like 500. Ah. Okay. I want to get my money back. Okay. And it was $1990. Yeah, so. like I said, the my garage is available. So right, when no one there. wants to buy that from you, let me know. I remember in fact uh, when you bought it thinking that's that's good. a bad purchase. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I had, I had such great intentions too, Rick. I mean, again, in my head, it is, it's a showpiece in my head. Oh, okay. It's being featured on, you know, uh, ESPN. Okay. All right. We, we have uh, Minutia to deliver, so let's do that. You're listening to Minutia Men, featuring the wacky exploits of your good pals, Rick and Dave. Give them 22 minutes and they'll give you absolutely nothing of value. Well, actually, today we are going to give you some value because we have a guest coming. Yeah, out. we have uh, Lou Macaluso. Macaluso is coming on talking about his book, the Great which is about game. the Berlin Wall, which mm-hmm. is really a fascinating thing. So we'll be talking about that. And I really want to thank Billy Hayes for coming on last week. The author yes. of we got two authors in a row. Hey, uh, author of course of Midnight Express hopped yeah. on, and we had a great response from that yeah, interview. That was he was one. really engaging. So no pressure, Lou, but you got to be funny. Kansas man requests trial by combat with swords to settle custody battle with his ex-wife. <laughs> a Kansas man was asked has asked an Iowa judge to let him engage in a sword fight with his ex-wife and her attorney so that he can rend their souls from their bodies. <laughs> sure, no problem. David Ostrom, 40, of Paola. Kansas, said in a January 3rd court filing that his former wife, Bridget Ostrom, 38 of Harlan, Iowa. So, uh, okay, I don't know if they were living together, evidently, at some time. And her attorney, Matthew Hudson, had destroyed him legally. Okay. The Ostroms have been embroiled in disputes over custody and visitation issues and property tax payment. Okay. Yeah. So what uh, young David wants, he's 40, he's young. Yeah. He wants to duel his wife and his (laughs) lawyer. So we'll settle it right here with these big swords, right? Yeah. Kind of a Game of Thrones type uh, scenario. Sure, sure, with machetes. Um, but here, listen to this. Um, so they filed this in. So he, re- this is a legitimate thing. He filed it in court asking yeah. for this. Yeah, his motion was filed in the Shelby County District Court. Okay. And again, it stemmed from his frustrations with his ex-wife's attorney. Um, Hudson argued in his legal response, and this is um, uh, that despite a duel could end in death, 
such ramifications likely outweigh those of property tax and custody <laughs> issues. Hudson asked the judge to reject the request for trial by combat. This is what the judge said. Until the proper procedural steps to initiate a court proceedings are followed, this court will take no further action. So it's not the absurdity of fighting over the swords or with the swords. It's that they have not filed the, the, right pre- paperwork. the paperwork correctly. Yes. Right. <laughs> I think Kansas should just become its own country. Well, and a couple things come to mind. First off, Florida, you're losing your edge. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. And why would his wife divorce him? He seems, he seems like, like a, a good guy. guy. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I have a story for you that takes place in uh, Sacramento, California, Dave. Um, residents are not loving a new idea launched by a Sacramento in McDonald's, uh, a McDonald's in Sacramento to deter the homeless from sleeping near the restaurant. All right? Hmm. Here's what they've decided to do to keep the homeless people away. They are playing bagpipes. The sounds of bagpipes play 24-7 from the speakers at the fast food restaurant to get rid of the homeless guys. Because homeless guys obviously hate bagpipes. Yeah, of course. You know who else hates bagpipes? No one else. Everyone else in the world. I love bagpipes. You do not. I I love, uh, what is the Denny Lane song? Mull of, Mull of Kintyre. I, I, I love yeah. that song. <laughs> and in fact, there's a band called the Red Hot Chili Pipers. Oh, really? Yeah. Go on YouTube, the Red okay. Hot Chili Pipers. They are a rock band with bagpipes. They are awesome. Really? Yeah. Well, I, I am not uh, well, of the bagpipe ilk. This reminds me of the Sopranos episode. Remember when Tony was embroiled in that dispute with the, the, the lawyer out in, they were going to buy a house on the beach? Oh and, and, yeah, and they, they wanted to get out of the yeah. the contract, so they put they played Dean Martin at all hours of the night. Yeah, that's right. right. Well, I mean, Dean Martin, I, I actually like better than bagpipes. But I was thinking, uh, here's some other possibilities that they could use. Mm-hmm. Um, Seasons in the Sun by Terry Jacks. Okay, sure. If you play that over and over again from 1974, number good goodbye, my friend. It's hard to die when all the birds are singing in the sky. Keep playing that. The homeless people are going to The homeless people will leave also. Here's another one. Uh, Alarm clocks. Oh, just in general. Just an alarm going off all the time. You know what? I'm going to invest in an alarm clock company because I bet they're making a lot of money now with everybody having an alarm clock in their (laughs) pocket. (laughs) It's like starting a (laughs) publishing company when people stop reading books. Another uh, possibility, I was thinking clicking pens. Like when someone okay. just clicking the sure. pen over sure. and over and over sure. again, and then the last thing, and this is gonna, this will work for sure, hundred percent. Whining children. Oh, I got a, I got a couple that we could rent them out. Yeah, absolutely. Whining. Rent them out. I want another <laughs> Big Mac. Yeah. So those homeless people will be running for the. Right. Where is this? San, uh, Sacramento. Is that Sacramento, where? California. All right, All right Dave. Uh, um, so. In our pre-show meeting, yeah, I was going to do this story, and yeah. I, I had agreed to do this story, right? Um, and it's about Gwyneth Paltrow, yes, and a candle that she has right. produced on her website. Yeah, just right? tell us the story. Well, basically, Gwyneth has a candle. Uh huh. Okay, see, I don't. I, I'm. I, I don't, Are you bailing? So here's the story. This is what I found out over the last week. Okay, that not only are my daughters. Listening to the podcast reg- fairly regularly. Yeah. Some of her friends, their friends are. Okay. And some of their teachers are. Oh. Um, oh. 
Yeah. And uh, Julia, one of Julia's teachers, especially, uh-huh. is, and I wouldn't necessarily call her a fan and I'm not going to name her by name. But now everything I am, everything I say now. Oh, don't be a pussy. <laughs> well, I'm not. I really don't. Oh, come on. This, this is the only reason people listen to to you is because you have no filter. Well, if you have a suddenly have a filter. Hey, I'm I'm not happy about this. I'm going to be honest with you. This is a side right, of me that give, I'm not. Give me the story. Okay. Give me the story. All right. I'm going to do this one. Okay. Jeez, what a puss. All right. <laughs> Actress Gwyneth Paltrow is selling a candle that smells like her vagina. Okay, see right there. I can't say that, but you but can. But this is a news story. Okay. Right. I, it, it, at $75 a pop for her lifestyle. 75 bucks? Yes, for her lifestyle and wellness company, Goop. The name of the candle, this is a true thing. The name of the candle is, This Smells Like My Vagina. <laughs> hey, honey, uh, I got a great idea for a name. <laughs> she said uh, she first came across a scent... Uh, that she was. What do you mean? Her reminded, first. <laughs> this is the, the, they were working on this uh, on this candle, and she's when she smelled it, she goes like, "Oh, well, that smells like my vagina." Uh, the candle started as a joke between perfumer Douglas Little and Gwyneth Paltrow. The two were working on the fragrance, and she blurted that out. Now, they thought that was funny, right? And so they put it on, and guess what happened? They probably sold out or whatever. Within hours. They sold out within hours. $75. Well, I can, yeah. I'll be happy to sell a cologne. <laughs> well, here, listen. This is the description of the uh, candle. It's a blend of geranium, citrusy bergamot, and cedar absolutes juxtaposed with damask rose and embret seeds that put us in the mind of fantasy, fantasy, seduction, and a sophisticated warmth. So Gwyneth has a very high opinion <laughs> of her vagina. You know what? what? I think it probably does smell like that. <laughs> you think? I think so. See, with when you have three teenage daughters, you have a very complicated relationship with vaginas. No, and I, I get it. Okay. I get it. But you know what about the 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 uh, candles that you were working on? Are you not going to work on those anymore? Oh, you mean what? I've written the description for you already. Uh, please, please do. It's a blend of daisies, <laughs> buttery merlot. That's exactly and what hickory. I juxtaposed with Rotterdam tulips and sunflower seeds that brings to mind the cosmopolitan ambiance of a Skokie library handicapped bathroom <laughs> store. We still can't decide between calling it Stern Sweaty Sphincter, uh, Big Dave's Big Ball of Belly Button okay, Fuzz, yeah. or This Smells Like Dave's Dinkleberries. Okay, and I've got a parent-teacher conference coming up with Julia's <laughs> teacher coming up next week. So what will be awesome if this comes up in the parent-teacher conference? Dave, I'd like to talk to you about stern, sweaty sphincter. <laughs> uh, all right, well, it's time for us to take a break, and I'm never coming back. All right, let's take a break. We'll be back. We still have the uh, anniversary of the Berlin Wall to talk about. We have a uh, Richard M. Daly story. We've got all sorts of stuff uh, coming right back after this. I'm Howard Sudbury. I'm Steve Baskerville. On the next Back to You, Steve, you're making a big change for 2020. Yes, I am. I'm going to change the way that I approach people in life. I can't wait to hear about that. And we're also going to talk about what it's like when you have an uncomfortable interview. And we'll have many of those in 2020. Back to you with Howard Sudbury and Steve Baskerville. Back to you, an Opie show. Only on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved a better place. Radiomisfits.com. Coming up on the next episode of the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, 
We have 10 cool cars that are eligible for import into the states in 2020. Plus, the Maserati Gran Turismo is nearing the end of the line. I'm Mark Vernon. Join me and Luke Constable for these stories and more on the Car Guys Report, a Tony Lasano podcast, an OPI production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. And we're back with Dave's big ball of belly button fuzz. You don't like that name, huh? Which one of those three did you like the best? I kind of like the, what, what was the first one? Stern's Sweaty Sphincter? No, then the, what was the third the, one? This Smells Like Dave's Dingleberries? I guess I like the, I, I actually yeah. do like the one that you had just, the fuzz, okay. the fuzz one. The big better. Dave's big ball. In fact, you want me to look to see? There we go. Here we go. Oh, no, get that away from me. Oh, <laughs> gross. Right there. Ah. Right I'm here. seriously thinking of a gag. Get I, it off my computer. Oh. oh, it's just belly button fuzz. That's disgusting. <laughs> you know, there was a time I was saving it and I was going to sell it on eBay. Really? Yeah, I didn't. Yeah. Whatever. All right. Uh, so it's the time of the show. Well, you know what? We have audio, so let's just play it. A random name pulled out of Rurik's bowl of brushes with celebrities. Mixture. Collection. Selection. Assemblage. Medley. Assortment. Variety. Time now for Celebrity Potpourri with Rick and Dave. So this is the part of the show where Dave reaches his hand into the jar and pulls out a celebrity. Um, and at the at the end of last week's show, you pulled out the name. Richard M. Daly, which is the son. Which is the son. Right. Uh, Richard Daly. And Richard M. Richard J. Daly right, was the father. Pops. Richard M. Daly was the son. And actually, Richard M. Daly was the mayor of Chicago. Longer. Longer than right. his dad was. Right, right. They both, uh, basically all of our lives, there's been a Daly. Well, there was day. like 20 years each, right? I yeah, mean. that's right. So um, in 1989, uh, when I was Stephen Gary's producer, we were trying to get Richard Daly on the show. He was running for mayor for the first time. And this was after Harold Washington had passed away. Um, he was running against, I think, Eugene Sawyer. Yeah, I remember I was Eugene yeah. Sawyer. Was and, that Bernie uh, Upton? No. It, I, probably. <laughs> probably. But uh, I, I can't remember exactly how I got him on the show, but he was scared to death. Uh, I got him on the phone to call in to Stephen Gary. So he was scared of Stephen Gary? Oh, very much yeah. so. And before he went on, he said to me, uh, you know, what can I say that will you know, diffuse anything they're going to make me say. And I said, you know, just tell a, tell Steve that you like his Hawaiian shirts or something like that. Because at that time, Steve, that was his sure, signature that thing. that was his shtick. Um, and so he did it. He said that joke, and it totally bombed. You know, like, it, it there was, like, silence after he said it. He, and he had, he had such kind of a squeaky voice. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what. <laughs> That's right, Steve and Gary. Um, but anyway... Um, so, years later, four years later, mm-hmm. after he's been mayor for a while, and he's got some power. He, uh, we booked him to come on John Landecker's show, and I was now the producer of John Landecker's show on the oldies station. And he actually listened occasionally because he liked the oldies. And we we lured him in by saying, um, "Come in and talk about your favorite oldies." And we're not going to talk about politics. We're not going to talk about anything of merit, kind of like this show does, yeah, of right? You know. Um, and and he came in and he talked about his favorite uh, his favorite songs. But while he was sitting there, um, he he was looking at me, and I had met him a couple of times. And he and when we got off the air, he, he was said trying to, me, to place you, right? He said, "Are you the guy that told me to tell that that Hawaiian joke?" 
Are you the guy that... Yeah. And, and I said, uh, yes. He goes, that didn't go over well. <laughs> so that was four years four later. Four years later, he remembered it and was still pissed at me. <laughs> so. uh, um, I, I met Richard M. Daly once. You did? Well, actually, a couple of times. I was at a Sox game. Okay. And, uh-huh. and it was one of the first... And he was a big White Sox fan. Right. It was one of the first years that the Cubs and the Sox were playing each other. And okay. we were sitting at... We were, it was at... At the Comis- Comiskey? Yeah, whatever it was called at that point. Yeah, it's at the So, so the scorecard... The it score was board. in my living room okay, already. Yes. And it was actually in a 700-foot condo at that point. <laughs> so he's walking up the steps, and the, Cub- and the Cubs were just kicking the crap out of the White Sox. It was yeah. you know, like 8 to nothing or whatever. And he's walking up the stairs... And with him was the police commissioner, the Hispanic guy. Do you remember? Oh, yeah. Who went to jail? Didn't he go to jail or something? Uh, I don't know. Something bad happened. Anyway. eventually go to jail. So <laughs> Richard Daly walked up and I said something like, hey, Mayor, can you do something about this? You know, the Cubs were, were kind of like, <laughs> I wish I could. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good story. <laughs> that's the whole story. <laughs> but, but it was the funny laugh. <laughs> yeah. No, he did have a funny laugh. And he was always laughing. Um, but he, if he ever listened but, to what he was saying, he was never saying anything. No, no. <laughs> Which is probably how he got uh, elected. And lasted 20-some years. All right. Well, let's bring in our guests. Oh, uh, no, no, no. I got to uh, do the next for next week. Oh, geez. I always forget that. All right. Pull one out. Oh, this is timely. Uh, Sarah Ferguson, Duchess of York, especially with all the problems that the Royals are having. Yes, right now. that's right. So, um, uh, and she was the one that was married to Andrew, who is having some issues at this uh, point. Yes, it was in the Epstein thing. Oh, oh. I save it. I'll save it. Uh, that's actually a pretty good story too. So, be sure to tune in next week. And this week, we have a celebrity guest on the line. Time now for the Celebrity Minutia Minute. Hey, you got a minute? Celebrity Minutia Minute with Rick and Dave. Okay, Dave, we have our special guest on the phone. Uh, this past November was the 30th anniversary of the Berlin Wall coming down, and, and this year is the 30th anniversary of German reunification. And our guest today is an expert on both of those things, despite being an Italian. Yeah. <laughs> Lou yeah. Macaluso, is that how you pronounce your last name? That's it, that's it. You the author it. of The Greatest Escape. Lou, first of all, thanks for being on the show. Um, but before we get into the subject of your book, which is a particular escape from East Germany, can you help us paint the picture of what life was like in old East Germany and why the wall was built in the first place? Because there's a whole generation of people that have grown up in a world with... Uh, only one Germany, and they don't remember this at all. Right, and and plus right. and plus, a lot of Americans just suck at history. Well, too, so why don't you help us through this? Yeah. Well, uh, basically, let me back up and uh, let you know about my first um, encounter in Berlin. I know, uh, Rick, you were a um, a German child, so to speak. Yeah. So you know what it was like back then. Um, my wife is actually a German teacher and she used to go to Germany, um, every year she used to sponsor a trip, uh, with, uh, kids and faculty and so forth. And I, of course, had to stay home and take care of the, the, uh, the family and such. But, um, I finally went to, to Berlin in 19... 1995, I guess it was. That was only six years after the uh, the wall came down. And um, 
Was there still something there? Was there still like uh, at that time they still had a little piece of the wall up or no? Oh yeah, and and as a matter of fact, there's still part of the wall there now. Oh okay. Um, they 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 have preserved about a mile of the wall, and uh, there's I have pictures on it in a. Uh, presentation that I do uh, concerning with that. Uh, yeah, they keep it up, and there's a new museum, the Marenfeld Museum, that, that deals with that. Okay. But I actually learned from talking with the people uh, that were there and, and so forth, and, and like I say, it was only six years after. And I'll tell you something, it was mind-blowing because, you know, we have only known um, – uh, even myself, you know, growing up in the as a baby boomer, we have only known what it, what it's like in a democracy, and these people lived under communism, yeah, in a very strict form of communism, and it it, it was it cut into their lives when they knew democracy. It also cut off them from uh, from family members. Um, you know, uh, friends and so forth. So it was, it was a shock. And one of the things that hit me that, um, I don't really know what it was like to, to, to be in that position when, you know, you had no, uh, no say in, um, in your government, in, in what you said in schools, you had to watch what you said and so forth because of the Stasi and so forth. Yeah. I don't really know what that was like. However, what I did find out when I went there is that from the moment the wall started going up, and a lot of people don't realize this, that wall went up literally overnight. Yeah. I mean, they had sections and, and it's surrounded uh, West Berlin in, 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 uh, in East Germany, because, you know, a lot of people don't picture this either, that, uh, that Berlin is like an Island in, right. uh, in what was East Germany. And, and the way they did it after the war was they divided Berlin into four parts, the, right. uh, the French, the English, the, um, the Americans and the Russians. That's and right. West Germany, the West Berlin was, uh, the, the Americans, the French and the, uh, and the English, and then East Berlin was the Russians. Right, exactly, exactly. So when the wall went around um, West Berlin, even though technically they weren't walled in, they felt walled in. Right. And of course, the the East um, the East Berlin and East Germans were walled out from the moment that wall started going up. People were risking and losing their lives trying to get over under and through it. And that's the thing that hit me. Um, you know, I, I can't talk expertly about what it was like to be under a uh, strict totalitarian regime, but well, you're married. I can't tell you. You're married? Sure you can. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, you didn't, yeah, you should have brought that in. Yeah, I should have, should have brought that up in the first place. To a German, uh, no less. <laughs> Yeah, basically you're right. But anyway, I did I I didn't know what that was like, you know, uh living in in that territory like that. But I do know that people um detested it so much they were willing to risk their lives. My book is also about not only people uh, you know uh, who 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 were like who were in that position, but elderly people mm-hmm who risked everything, yeah. uh, who were brought up in um, Germany and were willing to risk what was left of their lives 
you know, to, to go back to freedom. And that's basically what the book is about. Well, you know, um, you think about it, the war ended in 45. The wall didn't come up until 62. Right. And, and so those people living in East Germany, you know, in that time frame, and I had family that uh, lived uh, in Dresden and in East Berlin. Uh, uh-huh. They Their families, they might have had families that were just, you know, like 50 miles away living in Bavaria or something like that, and they couldn't see them. Exactly. Exactly. And I know you can, you know, speak firsthand about that, Rick. And you know, I remember you told me a story about, uh, you know, and not to, to switch the whole interview here, but what the hell. Uh, <laughs> you told me a great story about when, what were you, about 13, when you, yes. you, you, you got caught over there with your dad? Should, should I tell um, that story? Uh, go yeah, yeah, go for it. I mean, uh, you asked me what it was like uh, being there, and you were there. So I want to get people to, to to feel that. So go ahead, tell that story. Okay, so we're we're talking about 1976. Uh, I was 13 years old, and we were living in West Germany. And my dad worked for the Department of Defense, and we all were given ID cards so that we could go in and out of military bases. And it said right on the. ID card that my father worked for the Department of Defense. And we were going into East Berlin to visit my mother's family. And my dad said to me at the hotel, whatever you do, don't bring in that ID card. Because it says on there that I work for the Department of Defense. I won't do it, Dad. Gee, stop <laughs> telling on, me. Leave me alone, Dad. But yeah, of course yeah. I forgot to take it out of my wallet. And we get there, we get searched. And sure enough... They saw that. Now, I bet Eckhart was very happy oh, for yeah. you. The truth is, he never got mad Isn't at me. Isn't it great about to it. have Dave there to, to, to keep you in line? Go ahead. But, um, you know, the, eventually, obviously, we got out of this situation, but the Russian soldiers followed us wherever we went, and so did East German spies. And we would be like having a dinner with my uncle my mom's uncle and he'd say the waitress over there she's a spy the guy behind the bar is a spy you know and he was a college professor and he just Uh said you know they're everywhere you cannot do and they watch and after we left he said after you leave and they find out that you americans know me now he's gonna they're gonna follow me forever yeah Thanks a lot. Yeah, right. thanks for visiting. Right. Couldn't you, know. you have just gotten, yeah. Yeah, you have just gotten me a fruit what cake I wanna know, What I want to know is what did your dad do to you when you got back home? And, and you, you know, and you, I think he um, he never actually did anything because he uh, because you know the the punishment was obvious. I mean, I was scared. Yeah, I yeah, was scared I so. to death. You know, there were yeah, Russian yeah. soldiers following us yeah. around, and once you're on yeah. the east side, at any time they can just say. We're taking you and putting you in prison, and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, but you were 13. Yeah. You were 13. You would have handled that Russian oh, prison I'm sure very well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You yeah. could. Yeah, you were tough. Well, yeah. Uh, I'm taking them. Yeah. Well, you know. Yeah, it's, I, all I could think of when I when I first heard that story is if it was my old man, um, we wouldn't be having this conversation yeah, right, right now. Well, tell us the story but, of your book, because that's a great – it's called The Greatest Escape. Yeah. Well, actually, it was it's the the fifth book, fifth published book. But I tell people in a in a presentation, it's actually the one that's closest to my heart for a number of reasons. First of all, um, 
it's if you include the research, it's about 20 years in the making because uh, in that 1995 visit I was talking about, uh, I visited uh, the Checkpoint Charlie Museum, and it, which is still there today. Yeah. And even though it's a, a you know, and I was I was mystified by the, by this whole thing. And as I mentioned before, that these people had such ingenious ways because the Checkpoint Charlie Museum um, essentially is. Uh, artifacts and stories about people who tried to escape with various things like hiding their 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 loved ones under the knee, underneath the hood of their car right. underneath their car yeah um, uh, f- making flying devices uh, to go over and being shot at during the time all these things but there was one kind of escape that they really couldn't uh, do much more than, than put these articles up on the wall and, and blow them up, and that with the tunnels. And one of the most famous at that time tunnels was the Becker Tunnel. It was one of the first tunnels. Uh, the, these five brothers got together and dug a tunnel from their basement, and they, you know they were right along uh, the, the wall from their basement to the other side. And why that pertains to the book I have is that just four doors down from them was an 81-year-old man named Max Thomas. And he had a group of friends, and they were all in their 70s and, and so forth. Um, and, and they were promised a place in that tunnel. But at the last minute, the, uh, they decided that, eh, we don't want these old people because it was a crawl-through type tunnel. Yeah, they, you know, they may not make it through, yeah. yada, yada. And they uh, they decided that they would um, leave early, so they left early. The tunnel was discovered right away, and um, these five brothers and the twenty eight people, including the twenty eight people that got through, uh, made world international history. Uh, there were books written about them. There was a movie. Uh, called Escape from East Berlin, uh, with an international cast. And meanwhile, these elderly people were left behind, but instead of um, putting their, you know, uh, their heads down and, and, and moaning about it, they built their own tunnel, bigger, better, and faster than the Becker Tunnel. And at that time, the oldest and the youngest person, a 16-year-old boy who also was um, rejected from the Becker Tunnel, was allowed to go through. And the amazing thing to me was is that nobody, I, I mean, there was, there was some coverage of it, some local coverage, but uh, there were no books or, or, or movies or anything written about it, just this little article. And um, I guess I have to hold myself accountable as one of those people that, uh, you know, that passed it up because I sat on this file for 20 years. Um, You know, I was teaching at the time. Um, I I was writing, toward the end I was writing books. And uh, as you guys know, you know, I was doing all those things that, that, that authors do, trying to get their short stories published, trying to get a publisher, an agent, all those cool things. And um, finally, I went back in 2015, and like I was telling you before, Rick, that uh, the tunnel, they saved about a mile of it. I saw that, and it all came back to me. And um, I decided to write the book about it, and that's basically the story of it. Well, it's a great story. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I'll tell you another quick story uh, from Berlin. I was there in 75 with the Boy Scouts, uh-huh. and we had a uh, overnight camp out near the wall 
so on the west side. And we could see the guard tower from where we were oh, camping out. And and you could see the uh, if you got up to the top, we like built this ladder, and we you know went up to the ladder to see over the wall. You could see oh, wow. the guards walking back and forth, uh, you know, ready to shoot anybody who tried to it get out. It, it really yeah. was a terrifying place. Oh yeah, yeah. There was a thing I caught the the, um, uh, the dead zone is something that. Um, they had landmines placed there. It, yeah, exactly. And if you were caught in that dead zone, um, you could legally be shot by the uh, the East German border guards. And interestingly, and I didn't find this out until after I, writ- I had written the book, but uh, one of the first people who was killed in the dead zone was um, lived right nearby the the uh, the Max Thomas uh, tunnel that I talked about. He was the town drunk, and he had wandered toward the uh, the barbed wire. And, of course, he was yelling insults at the guards and so forth, and they yelled insults back. But it was just all kind of, you know, friendly banter. Uh, but he tripped and fell into the dead zone, and he was one of the first ones killed. Wow. Um, so, yeah. hey, you know what? Besides my book, I had to ask you guys this, okay? I don't want to get off the subject, but I do in this respect. What's this about the San Diego chicken almost killed Elvis? <laughs> You'll have to you listen have to, to the listen podcast. To You'll have you to have listen to, to the listen podcast. To you know, people are going to listen to this one, and now you've just teased it beautifully. Well done, sir. Yes. You know, well, well I, I tell you, I mean, I was just, I, I was floored. I mean, first of all, I thought Elvis was dead. Um, <laughs> well, this happened. You know, so this floored still, me. Right. You know. right. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Well, you know, i got to fire yeah. that uh, newspaper kid. But anyway, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that that really floored me because I listen to your show, you know, and so forth. I I, I like all of these things because you have, and I was honored that you guys called me because, I mean, you guys have some high profile people. Yeah, I don't like know? to brag. On next yeah, week, next true. week we've got Len Casper coming on, and then yes. in two weeks Anthony Scaramucci is going to hop back on. There Are you really? Oh yeah, yeah right. Lou. Who's this wow. again? Who's this? How'd you get on the wow. air? <laughs> See, I thought I, I had heard rumors that you were negotiating for. Pat Sajak's stepbrother, um, but uh, <laughs> you know, I, I knew that couldn't be. Tr- Huh? That would be minutia. Yeah, definitely. We, we take him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We take you know. him. So, if you're a teacher listening to this podcast, I would imagine uh, your book would be a wonderful addition to a curriculum, wouldn't it? Uh, it's been a. You bit- know what? I'm glad you asked that, <laughs> General. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I have to explain to the people that that uh, too, and I think it's it, it's worthy of that. Uh, Dave and 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 Rick. Um, are helping with some politici- uh, publicity for the book because um, I uh, have very few computer skills. I, I learned from an Amish university, I believe. <laughs> and uh, uh, he has helped me to uh, contact uh, teachers, social studies, and English teachers, not just here in Illinois, but uh, across the nation. And it, is, it has helped considerably. So I want to thank you, General Dave, for our email blast on the air. My pleasure. Uh, So where can people uh, get the book, Lou? This is the most important Actually, the book is available now almost everywhere. everywhere, And I'm sure they're going to go into a bookstore and, and, you know, they may not see it there. But we are available not only on Amazon now and um, Barnes & Noble, uh, but we're at 37,000 retail outlets 
in 24 countries, I, oh, I am right. told. So, as a matter of fact, I'm going. I don't know when this is going to be aired, but um, a few hours after uh, I leave you, I'm going to be at the Barnes and Nobles in uh, Orland Park, and then um, I'm going to be at uh, in New York City at oh. the Barnes and Noble in on hopefully on on the 29th. We're still negotiating that uh, the one uh, at Union Square. So, thanks mm-hmm. to. Uh, you guys too for helping me in this and and this interview and so forth. Uh, we're slowly and you guys know what it's like to sell books. You know, um, it ain't you know, easy. It ain't easy. It ain't but. easy. And and you know and and the thing of it is, uh, you know, m- my first goal was to be a bestseller until I realized what it took to be a bestseller. You not only have to sell five thousand to nine thousand books, you got to do it within a week. And um, that's just not going to happen unless you have a, a, a really great brand like uh, like the Cubs, yeah, uh, like yeah. the best Cubs, yeah, you <laughs> know. You mean every Cub ever? Well, well this is like one cool big, uh, one big damn best. commercial. <laughs> well, you know, we are huge in Costa Rica right now, so I we're like, oh, really? We're seventeen, I believe, in Costa Rica. So I would imagine you're going to have a nice uh, spike in sales in Costa Rica. And, and I actually, oh yeah, quite a few well, I'm people glad in New you know, York that listen to the show. Yeah, too. so so maybe yeah, they'll come out and about... see you at uh, the Barnes and Noble there. Yeah, great. Well, thanks great. for being on the show, Lou. We wish well, you the best. Well, thanks for having me. It's been fun. You know, it always is when I talk to you guys. Yeah, well, you know, as long as I don't get in trouble. And, you know, that's a big order. Well, don't let your but wife th- hear this one. Yeah, because, right. Uh, you can stay on the ice way. I was yeah, just kidding true. about that, that joke. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Hey, just. Yeah, that, that's okay, Dave. He's very happy. Don't, don't, don't make him mad. Thanks. All right, buddy. <laughs> Take it easy, Lou. Thanks, man. Okay, thanks a lot. Take care, bye. Bye, bye. Thank you, Lou. Yeah, and again, his book available on Amazon, The Greatest yes. Escape. Yeah, that's <clears throat> the best the best place to get it. Um, so, thanks very much for listening to the show. We we have people to thank, especially uh, executive producer Tony Lasana with opishows.com. Opi is hippo backwards. O p p i h shows.com. We're distributed by Ed Silla. With the Radio Misfits, Great Talk Radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place, radiomisfits.com. And we'll be back again next week. I might not be. Yeah, you will. You're, you're here. You're here. Uh, we'll have uh, Len Casper, Len the Casper. voice of the Chicago Cubs. Oh, great. We can talk about the Cubs. <laughs> be sure to tune in again next week for another episode of Minutia Men. The proceeding was a presentation of Opie Productions. Find our other shows wherever you find podcasts, including opishows.com. Thank you. This has been a presentation of Opie Productions. Tony, can you shut up? If you missed Los Ano or Los Los Ano and friends, here's what you missed. Hi, Fred Winston here, Chicago radio guy. <laughs> now, Fred, Tony, you were the first voice on Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh yeah, that was my big uh, cinematic moment. Is a beautiful day in Chicago today. Temperatures expected to reach the upper 70s. Right now, 75 at the lakefront, 74 at Midway, 73 at O'Hare, and now up in the sky, Don Nelson. Yeah, pretty goddamn riveting, wasn't it? (laughs) (laughs) I I got I got John Hughes in the studio, and we're in a commercial break. He says, uh, "Could you imagine your voice?" Coming out of the theater speakers in the theater? I said, uh, yeah, what does it pay? <laughs> Mercenary. So I go in the studio and I'm recording stuff and I'm uh, 
doing uh, buffo DJ crap and uh, clever ad libs and uh, you know well blah 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 and they didn't want that they wanted the uh, right. the straight crap right <laughs> so he invited me to go with him to the premiere uh huh and I said well I can't do that yeah. because I get up at three thirty in the morning I'm sorry you know I'm not going to give up my sleep I don't give right. a crap if it is a movie <laughs> so he fixed my ass I got paid but I got no movie credit yeah. oh really uh, no credit really? no no uh, credit in the movie every one got a credit except <laughs> me. Unbelievable. And you're the first voice. Yeah, well, that's okay. Yeah. Do you do you get checks in the mail still for like 16 cents for that? Or no, no, no. Really? It was a one-time flat fee oh. of $337.65. Oh, man. That, yeah, I'm swimming that, in it. Yeah. <laughs> Radio Misfits. Get more Lozano and Friends. Lozano. Now on Lawsano.com. Good luck trying to spell Lawsano or whatever it's called. That's nice. I bet that's pretty goddamn compelling, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, sorry. Direct from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Stay tuned. Rock on TV. Now at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. From bandstand to gaga, let's rock on TV. For info and tickets, visit museum.tv. Espresso. French press. Mocha. Frappuccinos. None of these will be discussed, but all will be used on Caffeinated Comics. It's a weekly podcast about comics, movies, TV, and collectibles, hosted by a former comic book store owner and an ex-comedian. What a resume. Sometimes there's special guests. Sometimes it's just us reporting the latest geek news and arguing, like why I love cable. And why you're wrong about that. So join us each week on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network for superpowers and caffeine. Remember when you made those cappuccinos? Yeah, that whole day's a whole blur. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com